0: Distraction can be dangerous in our lives. We know that a distracted driver can result in car wrecks. Distracted walking can result in face planting in the back of a truck, right? Distracted parenting can result in poor relationships with our kids. Uh, But something that we don't always consider is that distraction can actually be very dangerous and damaging to our spiritual lives as well. We can become so distracted in our lives that we actually miss God, We miss hearing from God, uh, seeing where God wants to go. We miss his will and his ways for our lives. And we can really miss having a strong and fulfilling relationship with God. But that's not how God wants it to be. He doesn't want to leave us in the dark in life. Uh, Actually, he really wants to lead us forward to the best way possible. If we look at Isaiah 30 verse 21, it says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, you know, God really wants to lead us forward in life to make sure that we're not going off on side paths, uh, going into areas that are going to get into trouble. But the thing is, is God doesn't drag us along that path. He doesn't force us to follow him, but as a loving, loving father, he calls us, uh, to follow him. And as, as like loving children, we need to listen for his voice. And then we also last or two weeks ago looked at three common noises that can uh, become very loud in our lives and then can just cause distraction. We looked at the noise of now, the noise of more and the noise of entertainment and how those can really just the volume can get cranked up so much that we can't hear God's voice. So if that sounds like something that would be interesting to you, I encourage you to go look at that message two weeks ago. Well, today we're going to look at another distraction uh, that's very common in life and that can pose a great danger to our spiritual lives, and that's the distraction of fear. Now, we probably wouldn't normally consider fear a distraction. You know, we might call it a state, a reaction, a feeling, but distraction, is it really a distraction? But if we consider for a moment what happens when we deal with life or when we deal with fear in our life, you know, as something comes up that is bringing up fear, we tend to more and more focus in on their circumstances, focus in on the things that are causing us fear. You know, when Jesus, when Peter asked Jesus if he could walk on water, Jesus said, yes, Peter stepped out of the boat and started to walk on water. But then... He started focusing on the wind and he started focusing on the waves and that fear grew up in him's life. You know, as we deal with, with fear and we, as we focus more and more on our circumstances, our heart becomes more and more trapped and controlled by the fear. And we are distracted from God who is actually trying to help us and who wants to help us, who is able to help us through that fear. And when we, consider th- when we consider fear and all the things that can grab our attention that way, what we'll see is that, you know, fear can come from many, many different sources in our lives. It can actually come from the desire for enjoyment or, or security. You know, we can wonder, you know, if I really follow God, if I really do what he wants me to do, is life really going to be as good as I want it to be? Or is he going to rip me off in the end? It can pop up because of events of the present, you know, or possibly because of, you know, the possibilities of the future. I was actually at a conference this weekend, and one of the things that they were talking about is AI and the potential of how it could shatter industries. And a lot of people admitted that's something that they're actually very afraid of. You know, fear can come from work, from family life, from economy. Who's here about that uh, recession we're supposed to have been having? You know, it's coming, right? It's coming. You know, how about government, the upcoming election? World affairs, China, Russia, North Korea. You know, I say all those not to try to incite fear, actually, you know, but that's that's actually what we see in the media, right? It's constantly these messages coming at us that their goal actually is to create fear. You know, we fear the unknown. We fear change. We fear that things won't change. Like we find ways to fear all over in life. So many different sources for fear. And then fear can also have different faces in our lives. You know, sometimes it's that fear that grips us, that just causes us to, you know, really tighten up and we can either, you know, go into that flee mode, running away, the fight mode, I got to solve this right now, or even the freeze where we fall into hopelessness and despair. You know, sometimes it expresses itself as worry or anxiety. Um, The conference that I went to this this weekend was a homeschooling conference. And when we first started homeschooling our son, Joshua, you know, actually a lot of worry came with that. I was worried we weren't starting early enough. I was worried that we were going to teach the wrong subjects. You know, I was worried that we were using the wrong curriculum. And ultimately behind that worry was fear. It was fear that these decisions that we are making right now were going to determine my son's future success, his future happiness. And like, how silly is that really? Like the only thing I remember about kindergarten is the toy train I wanted to play with. That's it, right? But fear, worry, anxiety, it can grip us. Fear can also express itself as dread. Uh, When I was in college, I had the opportunity to play on the USC football team. And uh, during the summer, we had two-hour practices, four days a week. And that summer, I also was living with a really good friend near campus. It should have been an amazing summer, right? I would work out in the morning, would go to work, and then would have all night to hang out with my friend. Didn't have to do homework. You know, we didn't have classes, anything like that. But it actually turned out to be a pretty awful summer in a lot of ways. And a big reason for that was that Every day, dread would build me. I would finish workouts, which were very, very hard and very exhausting. And then, as I went through the day, as I went through work, dread would slowly build about practice the next day. And I would start worrying I wasn't drinking enough water. I would start worrying I'm not going to get enough sleep at night and that tomorrow's really going to be hard. And because of dread, because of fear of, of workout, I allowed my days to be sucked up that summer and really missed some great opportunities. No matter what the cause of fear or what face it takes in a day, whether it's dread, worry, anxiety, panic, the problem with fear is that it can easily suck up our attention and distract us from God by causing us to take our eyes off him. Fear focuses, focuses, focus, causes us to focus on our circumstances. I can't say that word. It causes us to focus down on our circumstances. And it causes our hearts to be filled with fear. It causes us to really uh, to lose track of what's going on and just to focus down on what's going on. And then ultimately, it can actually cause us to forget God... And to start focusing on our own solutions, to try to respond in our own way. God had been telling us, this is the path, walk in it. But fear can cause us to to forget that path and start off-roading, start going to the left, start going to the right, in order to find a better way or a way that we think is going to help. You know, this is the power of fear, it is, or the power and the danger of fear, the danger of its distraction. But what if... You know, with all the fear that we face in life, all the fear that we are encouraged to face in life, what if fear didn't take over our thoughts when it came up? You know, what if we were able to endure through fear and be able to still hear God, to still see the direction that he wants us to go and not get off track and get into trouble? You know, what if we could endure through those fears and really come out in blessing on the other side instead of in trouble or in destruction? Well, so today we're going to look at two, we're going to compare two leaders of Israel, one who dealt with fear poorly and one who did it well in order to see, you know, uh, how we can deal with fear and how we can make those what ifs a reality for our lives. So we're going to start by looking at the life of King Saul um, and King Saul, sadly, what we see is that fear easily caused him to go the wrong way. And, uh, King Saul, he was the very first King of the nation of Israel. And, uh, when fear appeared, as we're going to see what he would do is he would focus in on his circumstances. He would forget God, and then he would respond with his own wisdom, his own power about how to deal with the situations ahead. And we first see this a few years into his kingship. Now I apologize today. We're going to go through some pretty large sections of scripture. So if you need to go grab another cup of coffee You know, but hopefully you can enjoy, we'll enjoy like looking at some of this history together. And to give a little bit of context for what we're going to be reading, one of the big things that Saul did in his life was that he fought against the Philistines. The Philistines were an enemy nation of Israel, and they were ultimately the nation that Goliath would come through, but they were a thorn in the side of Israel for many, many, many years. And early in his reign, the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. And so Saul sought to rally his troops in response. So we're going to start by looking at 1 Samuel 13, 5 through 7. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore and multitude. A lot of people. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, Saul was still at Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. So we can already see, you know, this already paints a pretty clear picture of what's going on in Israel, how the people are feeling. You know, they were in a state of fear. They're trembling. They're hiding anywhere that they can physically fit their bodies. You know, they're even fleeing into a neighboring territory. So let's keep going. Verse eight. Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Saul was supposed to be waiting on Samuel, but Samuel hadn't shown up yet. And the people were scattering from him. Now, most of us don't have much of a sense of war and battle. And so it might be easy to kind of slide past that. But let's think about that for a moment. He was about to go to battle with 36,000 warriors, like people with known for having a warlike nature. And his men are running away. The battle hasn't even started yet. And his men are running away. You know, that type of group panic doesn't really encourage bravery, right? It doesn't encourage like, yeah, let's do this. But so let's look and see how Saul responds in verse nine. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? Now to help understand this, not just anyone was allowed to do a burnt offering, to sacrifice, to do the sacrifices. Only the priests were allowed to do the burnt offerings. And we can see, clearly see from the text, you know, Saul was supposed to be waiting on Samuel before he made a move, but he didn't. And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I will not and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Saul was completely focused in on his circumstances. I saw the people were scattering from me. I saw the Philistines were mustered for battle. Samuel, I had no idea where you were, right? He was just looking at what was going on in his situation. And then as he uh, focused on his circumstances, he took things in his own hands to solve the problem. And, you know, we can tell that he knew he was doing something wrong, right? He said that he had to force himself to do it. He forced himself to sacrifice. And in doing so, interestingly enough, he put more emphasis on the religious practice Um, of sacrifice than in obeying the one who the sacrifices were supposed to be about. He forgot God. He forgot who God really was. He focused down on his circumstances. He forgot God and he responded by coming up with a plan of what he should do. You know, as a father, I have much more favor for my son when he obeys what I ask him to do over when he does something else trying to appease me. And the same is true for God. You know, he's more interested in us obeying his loving commands than in us sacrificing in any way that we may choose to sacrifice. And in this case in the way that that Saul sacrificed, you know, God doesn't need our sacrifices. They're more about our relationship with him than anything that he needs from us. Well, but Saul was not focused on God. His will his ways Instead, fear had really distracted him and put his focus entirely on his circumstances to where he felt he needed to solve this problem. Let's keep going. Well, actually, I'm going to go ahead and skip the next two verses, 13 and 14. But if you look at these verses, what happens is that you find out that this fear uh, that Saul had actually causes him to lose the kingdom for his lineage. God says, I'm not going to pass on the kingdom to your son because of this. And as we see there, he says, I found a man with a heart like my own. God wanted a heart focused on him, not a heart focused on fear. Well, the distraction of fear besets Saul again later in his reign, as he's commanded to go to war with the Amalekites. And God commanded him when he goes to war, not to keep any of the despoil, but to destroy everything. So we're going to jump to 1 Samuel 15. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. He took the king, though. But Saul and the people spared Agog and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good. And he would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So immediately we see here that Saul was choosing not to obey God. You know, he left the king alive, and then he left all these animals, all the best animals alive. Let's jump to verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. It's kind of an interesting statement there. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them... From the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Notice what he says there. He doesn't actually take credit for it. He's like, the people, the people did it. I mean, I really couldn't stop them, Samuel, they wanted to do it, and so they did it. It was the people. But if we look back to verse nine, it clearly says that Paul Saul, and the people spared the king and the best of the animals. And so I, I don't know. It doesn't say this. I don't know. This is just an hypothesis of mine. But I think that he might have actually been fearful of what Samuel was going to think of him for not obeying. Who knows? So let's keep going. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul said to him, speak. So Samuel's about to lay down the hammer. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, though you're saying like you couldn't stop this. Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. You're in charge. You are supposed to be leading this people. And the Lord said, sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction, the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I obeyed, but I brought the king. And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. You know, from the outside, it's kind of easy to see Saul's mistake here, right? Like I did obey, just not that part. You know, for all of you parents out there, you know, you're like, son, clean up your room. I did. Then why is that pile of stuff on the floor? But, no, see, I cleaned up the room. No. You, you gotta clean up the whole room. You gotta obey in full. Well, let's keep going. But the people, again, he puts the blame on the people. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So once again here, we see Saul is actually putting more emphasis into religious rituals than into serving the one who those rituals were about. He had forgotten who God was. Saul said to Samuel, he finally gets it. Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. But again, check this out. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Saul's fear, he was fearing how the people of Israel were going to react. He feared leading them into such something that they didn't want to do. And because of that, because he was looking at the situation, he was looking at their, what they wanted. He took his eyes off of God and focused on a situation. He forgot who God was thinking, well, we'll sacrifice this stuff and that makes it better. But forgetting that God wants obedience, not sacrifices. He was so concerned with his standing. He was afraid of what the people would think of him that he chose to obey man over obeying God. And so then ultimately, instead of walking the path of God, he went off-roading on his own path. He came up with his own solution. And Saul's story, actually, we're going we're gonna to stop with Saul there. It doesn't end there. Um, you know, he keeps fearfully struggling um, in different ways, especially with how people viewed him and his reputation. Now, it's easy to think like, come on, Saul. Like, didn't you get it? Like, how, how could you not see how you were messing up in this situation? But I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at our own lives, we have to admit that we do the same thing, that we let our circumstances blind us to what God wants, and we can keep making the same decision again and again. You know, in in grad school, I studied architecture, and I pulled a whole, 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 whole lot of all-nighters. I mean, just long, long, long hours. Now... Looking back, you know, and, and really evaluating that, the reason for a lot of those all-nighters were fear, was fear. It was that I had wrapped my identity around my work, and I was afraid of not being a good designer. I was afraid of people considering me and my work to be poor. And so because of that, because of that, um, I would pull all these all-nighters. And in the midst of that, because I was spending giving so much of my time to uh, this work, I actually let go of a lot of other responsibilities that I needed to take care of. Now, if you would ask asked me at the time, I would have been really reluctant to admit that I was being distracted from God and the different things that he wanted me to be doing in life. I would have just told you, no, 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 this just needs to get done. Like it, it just, that's the work that's required. And you know, in, in, for some times that might've been the case, but the reality is quarter after quarter, year after year, I kept doing the same thing. You know, I kept following that same process because it's an easy process to fall into. It's to focus on the situation, to forget God, to forget who he is, what he wants of us, and then to respond out of our own wisdom, our own might. And for my case, that meant a lot of sleepless nights. So what do we do? You know, if it's so easy to fall into this methodology, um, if it's so easy to seem like we have no control over fear, but that it just takes us over, You know, if we aren't supposed to have a heart filled with fear, what kind of a heart should we have in the midst of fear? How do we do better? Well, God actually shows us the state of heart that he wants for us in the book of Isaiah. Now, the kingdom of Judah, Israel and Judah had split into two separate kingdoms at this time. Judah was under the threat of the Assyrian Empire. And Judah, in fear of being conquered by the Assyrian Empire, turned to Egypt They turned to Egypt for protection and for help instead of turning to God. So if we look at Isaiah 31 through 2, it says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine. And who make an alliance, but not of my spirit. That they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. You know, as we saw from Saul in the midst, Saul from Saul, hey, there you go. As we saw from Saul in the midst of fear, the people created their own paths, their own plan, their own direction on how to solve this problem. Well, the passage goes on to say that this is gonna turn to their shame. But then God further explains the heart that he wanted from his people, in this circumstance and the same heart that we should seek to have in circumstances like that. And we find this in Isaiah 30 verse 15, just a little bit later for thus said the Lord God, the Holy one of Israel in returning and rest, you shall be saved in quietness and trust shall be your strength in returning and rest. You shall be saved in quietness and trust shall be your strength. The heart God calls for us in the midst of fear is to return our attention to him, not to our circumstances, but to return our attention to him, to rest from all the fear in him. Instead of being frantic, you know, really trying to create our own solution, we quietly trust in him. Well, that's easier said than done, right? Like, If you're in a fearful situation, an anxious situation, we can't just say, you know what? I'm just going to rest. Ah, So much better. Right? That's that's not how it works. Anxiety, fear, it builds and builds and tries to capture every part of our heart, every part of our tension. You know, some things where it's just a single area of life in, it may just try to take over that life. But other things, other areas of life as it's in fear, it can really begin to take over all of our lives so that all we're seeing throughout our days is that fear. So we have to actively pursue and fight for this heart. We can't just claim it. We have to actively fight and pursue it. And again, thankfully, God doesn't leave us in the dark about what to do. But instead, we can see examples of dealing with fear correctly of how to return our attention to God and rest in him in the midst of fear. So we're going to jump ahead in history to the story of Nehemiah. What happened is, remember, Judah was under the threat of the Assyrian attack. Well, ultimately, the Assyrian empire is conquered by the Babylonian empire. And then the Babylonian empire did conquer Judah and actually took a lot of the people of Judah away into Babylon. So they were exiled from their own land. And then the Persian Empire came in, and the Persian Empire defeated the Babylonian Empire. And that takes us to the story of Nehemiah, where we find Nehemiah, a Judean, living in Persia, serving the king of Persia. Now, while in Persia, some men came from Judah and told Nehemiah that the city of Jerusalem and the people were in great shame. The city was in this decrepit condition, the walls were broken down, the gates were burned. And this hit Nehemiah really, really hard. You know, this was the city of David, the city of God, and it was in shambles. So it's here where we first see an example of what Nehemiah did when facing fear that was a better approach than focusing on our situations, than forgetting God and responding out of our own strength. So let's look at Nehemiah 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King or taxerces. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. You can ask Neil afterwards. When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. As you read in history, one of the things you find is that kings and rulers, including of empires like Persia, they didn't tend to be very benevolent. And so if you annoyed them, if you displeased them, you know, they might just cut off your head or throw you in jail for the rest of your life. You know, human life had little value and Nehemiah had something legitimate to be afraid of. He did not want to displease the king. It might have actually been a part of his duty, part of his job to be positive, encouraging. It actually says there that he had never been sad in the presence of the king. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Again, I can just imagine like a fear of the thrill of fear running through Nehemiah You know, here he is trying to figure out a way to talk about what once was the capital of a completely another kingdom. You know, he might have started, easily could have started to think like, ah, should I change the subject? What should I do? Should I say, never mind, just joking, right? Like, because again, you don't want to tick off the king, you know, so he might have tried to manipulate the situation, but let's see what he actually did. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you will send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So when faced with fear, Nehemiah prayed. You know, instead of allowing his heart to be filled with his circumstances to where he focused down on those circumstances, he immediately turned to God and focused up. Prayer helps us to focus on God instead of focusing on what's going around us. When we pray, we're talking to the God who made the world and it can help us to see him. This is the God who saves, the God who loves us. How amazing is that? And it can begin to take us out of our situation and really begin to see God and to really uh, focus on him. So the first thing Nehemiah did When facing fear was he prayed. So the king actually allows Nehemiah, we're going to skip ahead, but the king actually allows Nehemiah to leave his service and to go to Jerusalem for a time that he can go and rebuild the walls, that he can go and rebuild the city. And more than that, the king actually gives him letters to the governors of the area saying, this is what Nehemiah is going to do. do." And he gives them letters that allows Nehemiah to have access to the supplies in order to actually carry out the work. But Nehemiah, his fear doesn't end there. Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem and rallies the people to begin building the wall. And then he began to face opposition from local leaders. So let's look at Nehemiah four. Now, when Sanballat heard that they, that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps and rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah, the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yes. What are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now, did you catch who he was jeering Israel in front of? His brothers and the army of Samaria. So the entire army, the army was hearing that their leader was displeased with Nehemiah. And similar to not being the wisest thing to displease a monarch, it also wasn't wise to displease local authorities because they had a lot of authority to kill, to imprison, to do the same things of the king in these areas. Again, scary. You know, Nehemiah had some real reasons to be nervous. But and again, instead of focusing on that, what we see here in the next verse is that he turns to God and prays, Hear O our God, for we are despised, turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. I like Do to them what's been done to us. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, notice there, that group just got bigger, right? Like now there's more people involved heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So it went from just being jeered at to now active planning for their destruction. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. You know, once again, they prayed to God, you know, as things have gotten a lot worse. The threat is getting bigger and bigger and bigger against them. And they turn in prayer and not focus on that. But as we see in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. Clearly, some of the people are beginning to allow their circumstances to really fill their vision. You know, they're seeing the ruined walls. They're seeing the work that needs to be done. They're hearing the threats and they're starting to despair. But thankfully, that's not what we see in, in, in Nehemiah. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came in all directions and said to them 10 times, you must return to, the, to us. So fear is spreading more and more and more. The people are clearly hearing these threats of, a, of violence, of attack, and God is starting to get clouded out, you know, that God had this job for them to do. They are starting to look for their own solutions. Let's all just run. Stop doing the work. Save yourselves. That's not what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah led very well through the fear here. He prayed, and then he did two more things, which we're going to see here in a second. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So in these verses, we see the next two things that Nehemiah did to help deal with the, with the fear. So first he prayed. The second thing he said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. So he prayed and he remembered when we hearken back to the wonders of what God has done in the past. That's a great power to those of us who are really trying to follow God and face fear. You know, throughout the history of Israel, God actually commanded the people of Israel to put up symbols of remembrance to help them remember or to help them remember what he had done in the past. And the reason for that is because, frankly, we're all terrible at remembering. Like Israel was terrible at remembering God. And in the moment, we can be terrible at remembering who God is and what he has promised for us. We have to actually pursue remembering. And so here are two ways that we can pursue remembering what God has done that could help us as we fall into fear. First of all, we can look at the Bible and that all that he has done for mankind throughout the ages. You know, the Bible is God's record of faithfulness across thousands of years, across many, many different fearful situations. When Israel fled Egypt and was trapped between the chariots of Egypt and the Red Sea, you know, imagine in the state of panic, God parted the Red Sea. When Ruth gave up the security of her own people to go with Naomi, and follow her mother-in-law and follow God, you know, she could have been very afraid about what's going to happen to me, a foreigner, a foreign widow in this land. But God provided for her and Naomi and God provided a new husband for her. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had chosen not to bow down and were thrown into the fiery firmness, again, they could have been very afraid. But God protected them. We can look back to each and every one of these acts of God and remember his faithfulness, his provision, his protection, consider them and really find hope for it's the same God who's working in my fear and my life today, in your fear and in your life today. It's that same God who parted the Red Sea. Romans 15:4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The Bible is there for our hope. And in the midst of fear, as we pray, and as we remember God, we can find hope. We can also remember how God has worked in our own lives. You know, if we really look and consider and think through our own lives, we can find times where God specifically has provided for and protected us. This is actually one of the great value of journaling is that actually helps you to keep a written record of what God has done in your own life. So in the midst of fear, you can go back and see how God has been faithful to you over the years. Well, in both cases, by remembering, we are able to bring fear into its true scope. You know, it may be a truly terrifying situation, like some that we've just mentioned, but we see how God loves and how he has worked in his people, in them and through them across history. And we can know that God is with us in that moment. So as big as any fear may seem, the God who created the universe is much, much bigger. We don't have to be frantic, but we can begin to quiet our hearts And rest in Him, knowing who He is and knowing His goodness. Now, that's not going to be a one time thing. Our circumstances are going to come and try to once again take over. You know, they're going to start shouting more and more and more to be heard. But each and every time we can pray, and then we can remember God and hand that worry back over to Him and rest in His goodness. So when facing fear, Nehemiah first focused up to God by praying instead of down in the circumstances, and then he remembered God. And finally, Nehemiah courageously obeyed. So he prayed, he remembered, he courageously obeyed. He kept moving forward with what God had given him to do in the midst of the fear instead of coming up with his own solution. And we can see that in verses nine and thirteen. In verse nine, it says, "And we prayed to God, to our God, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night." Then in verse thirteen, "So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows." And then, actually, if we look further ahead to verse uh, seventeen through eighteen, it says, "Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on." The work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. You know, when, when focusing on our circumstances, it's easy to forget and to abandon the things that God has given us to do. You know, instead of seeking to move forward on that path that God had been leading us down, you know, it's easy to jump off path, to start off road and going our own way to try to deal with the fear. But that's not what we see Nehemiah did. He didn't try to spark, like strike a bargain with these local leaders and try to figure out a way to make it okay. He didn't even, uh, he didn't even, you know, call to the king who had given him permission to do this. He didn't call to the king and rely on his power and his strength. You know, he didn't try to find his own ways. Instead, he prayed, he remembered, and then he courageously obeyed, kept going forward with what God had given him to do. And he set to making sure that he could do that. You know, the threat of violence was real. So he kept doing what he was supposed to do and made ready to defend his work and to be able to continue forward on that path. He courageously obeyed in the midst of fear. You know, again, fear wants us to focus on our circumstances, to focus down, to forget God and to respond out of our own solutions, whether that's looking to our own might, our own wisdom or to the might of others. But in order to have a heart that doesn't panic, but instead, as Isaiah 30 verse 15 said, you know, a heart that returns to the Lord, that finds rest in the Lord, a heart that quietly trusts God when fear comes up. What we do is we want to pray. We want to remember and courageously obey and really just give the outcome of the situation to God, remembering his goodness and his faithfulness. And in the end of what happened with Nehemiah is they finished building the wall. They finished building the wall and then Nehemiah led the people to obey God more faithfully than they had in centuries. And one of the really awesome things that it says is that once they finished building the wall, all the people in the surrounding areas knew that that happened because of God, that God had done that work. I imagine that if Nehemiah had tried to go on his own path, if he had appealed to the king and if the wall had ever been built, the king would have gotten the credit and not God. But by continuing to go down God's path, it really showed God's glory and how he had worked. You know, fear is a significant foe in our lives and it really has the ability to destroy and hinder us. But we have the opportunity to move through it and to not allow it to distract us from God, to hinder us from going the direction that he's taking us in life. We actually have the ability to battle that distraction of fear. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then why doesn't the band come on up? God, we just thank you that you have not left us alone. We thank you that we don't have to come up with our own solutions, but that you are a great and mighty God who loves us, who wants to lead us down the best path. And so, God, I just, I just pray as we deal with fear in our lives, whether that's fear related around children or work or promotions or paychecks or whether it's fear because someone is out to get us, God, whatever the fear may be, Lord, I pray that we would really look to you and not allow the fear to distract us from who you are and what you have for us. We just thank you that you are a God who loves us and takes care of us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.